Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. We are in Andersonville in a nice little cafe, Kopi Cafe, and enjoying the uh, the splendors of the little independent coffee houses. This, so if you hear any music in the background, that's what it'll be. I am with Jonathan Barbanel, and I have been fascinated by his background and Jonathan, say hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Tell us about that you are the chairperson of the American Theater Critics Association. Correct. Tell us what that involves and about the association for those who don't know. The association is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, and the American Theater Critics Association is the only nationwide professional organization for theater critics, or perhaps I should say the only nationwide organization for professional theater critics. There are local critic circles and so forth, though there is no such thing in Chicago, but the American Theater Critics Association is nationwide, and we also represent the United States within the International Association of Theater Critics, which is a non-governmental cultural organization organized under UNESCO statutes. Ooh, I didn't know yes, that. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, what are your duties? Well, we are a self-governed organization, which is to say we do not have a professional executive director, a salaried executive director, or a manager. We are run by our own organization. Our general membership each year uh, elects members to our executive committee. There are nine members, and then the nine elect the chair and the vice chair uh, as the officers for a one-year term and subject to re-election if we've done a satisfactory job. So uh, I am responsible for organizing the business of the association, drawing up an annual budget, making sure that we stay on budget. Uh, supervising the process of selecting where our next conference city will be and if we're going to have between our major conferences any kind of smaller mini-meetings as we call them. There is uh, ongoing work. We have certain standing committees, our international committee, our new play awards committee and so forth, our regional theater Tony Award committee and I just have to keep them percolating along. Each one has a, a, a very capable chairperson and I just have to stay in touch with them and coordinate everything. Where is your meeting going to be? This year this year we are meeting in Louisville, Kentucky uh, at the Actors Theater of Louisville in conjunction with the Humana Festival of New American Plays. And that meeting is coming up actually in uh, uh, less than 10 days. We are going to meet April 2nd to April oh, 6th early. Usually in Louisville. It's, it's early because this is when the Humana when Festival came, is. Yeah. Yeah. And we also... Now this year, the Humana Festival in Louisville is going to be our conference city. But even when our conference is in a different city, we are at the Humana Festival during this visitor's weekend each year to present the Steinberg American Theater Critics Association New Play Awards, which is about forty or $41,000 in cash prizes to American authors. Wow. And I'll get to stand center stage at the Actors Theater of Louisville and make the presentation. Has the winner been announced? 
The six finalists have been announced. We do not announce the three actual winners until that moment that night. I know, but my lips are sealed. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, I just, you know, got to gotta try. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the six finalists, I will say, is a playwright familiar to Chicago audiences, and that's Noah Hadel. Who was uh, whose play Smokefall, which oh, had its yeah. world premiere at the Goodman Theater last season, was one of the six finalists. The play was the finalist, and uh, so uh, Noah is among the six finalists. And of course, you, your listeners may know that Goodman is going to remount Smokefall next season. I, I yeah, I saw that on yeah. their next season list, and I thought yeah. it was might have been a typo. I was going to ask. They're going to do, do it, it again. I, yeah. I like the play. I did also. I admired a great deal. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's that's quite an agenda. The, the well, gen- it keeps me hopping. <laughs> well, tell us the one thing I did not know, and I'm sure my listeners don't know, is uh, that your association, the American Theater Critics Association, picks the regional winner of the Tony Award. The Correct. We uh, Tell us about that, because a lot of people don't know that. Okay. Uh, they probably are aware that the uh, each year on the Tony Award broadcast, they give an award to an outstanding regional theater. Yes. Chicago has five winners of that award. Steppenwolf, uh, Goodman Theater, Victory Gardens, Chicago Shakespeare uh, Theater, and uh, just... In 2011, Looking Glass was the most That's recent. Right, yeah. But the Tony Awards Committee, that whose job, principal job, is to give awards to Broadway plays, they initiated the Regional Theater Award 34 years ago, and they said, "But we, we're all based in New York. You know, we don't get out to the regions to see the theater there, but the America's theater critics do. They're based all over, and so they came to us and asked us to come up with a process." by which we would select an annual recipient for the Regional Theater Tony. And it's been a successful partnership. We have a private internal process of members recommending theaters. We vote on them privately to arrive at one theater, which we pass along to the New York folks, the Tony Award folks, as a recommendation. And they are free to accept our recommendation or reject it. And I'm very pleased that in 34 years they have never rejected our recommendation. Well, that's good. That is good. Yes, yeah, and uh, that's that gives them, that gives not only recognition to the to your uh, association, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, who, who better would, would know? What we try to get each year is the on the Tony broadcast, we try to we ask them if they would say seven or eight words. Upon recommendation of the American Theater Critics Association, the regional theater Tony Award goes to. And, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we never can get them to, to say yeah, even he, that much. I've... I've uh, Heard them announce the winner, but I have yeah. never heard that, and and a lot of us would have picked up on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's a good partnership. We're glad to have it. And the other one about the 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 money awards uh, for for new works. You know, while we as theater critics may not always give playwrights good news, may not give them the news they want to hear in, in our reviews. But we have great admiration and respect. It's that old thing, you know, the, you know, where were you when the page was empty, as the playwright says to the critic or the producer or the actor. Theater begins with a single author facing an empty page. 
And uh, our association has been around for 40 years, and for 37 of them, we have given cash prizes each year to playwrights for outstanding new American plays, which had their world premiere in the previous calendar year. Are you funded for that? We used to fund it ourselves, but and 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 the money we had to give or give out was very very modest, a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. I'm very pleased to say that we are now in the 14th year of a partnership with the Harold and Mimi Steinberg Charitable Trust, a arts-oriented major uh, charitable trust that underwrites a great deal of theater and a lot of new theater projects. And they now fund what we call the Steinberg American Theater Critics Association New Play Awards, ones I'll be presenting down at the Humana Festival. And the first place winner is $25,000, wow. which makes it as rich as any cash prize of which I'm aware in the United States for playwrights. Even the Pulitzer Prize is not more than that, though it may also be 25000 And we give two secondary or runner-up prizes of $7,500. That all comes from underwriting from the Steinberg Trust. And we give a much more modest $1,000 prize on our, out of our own treasury, out of our own budget for a, an emerging playwright. The big awards generally go to uh, established playwrights, not necessarily but they don't have Broadway. Right, they don't have to be. But the $1,000 prize, our Osborne Award, always goes to a unknown emerging playwright. How does a, a play get submitted to your organization to be considered? Any member in good standing can recommend a play to our reading committee, our, our, our new play award committee. It has to fit in with the right circumstances, has to have had a world premiere in the last calendar year at a theater outside the city of New York. So it has to be produced. Yeah, it can't be a workshop or a reading. It has to be a produced play. Is that the Pulitzers aren't that way? Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be produced. Ours has to be, uh, right, has that's, to be that's fair. So outside of New York, it has to be it has to be yeah. mounted somewhere. Yeah. And um, as I say, it has to be a member in good standing. So if you haven't paid your dues this year, you cannot recommend a play, Tom. Okay. Nor can you participate in the Tony Award process either. You have to you have to pay your dues. Okay. Fair uh, enough. And then we have one of our our, our largest standing committee is uh, eighteen or nineteen members, and they go through the process of reading and seriously debating all of the plays to come up first with six finalists and then three actual cash winners. How do they debate it through... Uh, well, it's all online. online. Unless we you know, sometimes... Well, Google Docs and all right. that. You, you happen that, yeah. to meet or you can pick up the phone and it is very, very... It is a debate. As chair, I'm not on the committee, but I get copied on everything. And the the... The discussion of the plays is intense, and it is deep, and totally sincere. It is. Uh, uh, I, I wish that everyone in theater and the theater community could see and understand the seriousness of purpose that uh, my colleagues in the association bring to this process. This year, they read through 28 or 29 plays in order to come up with six wow. finalists and three three winners. Yes, indeed. Wow. Now. Are the play, do the playwrights get feedback? Like all 28? Yeah. No, no, they do not. Okay. They do not. Um, 
Because I was just wondering it, but possibly, you know, if there was a way of getting them without, you know, embarrassing it, the feedback might be really beneficial to them. It possibly could be, but we are not in the role of literary managers. We are okay. in the role here of adjudicators. Okay. And it's a slightly different... Uh, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah. I'm just wondering if, if that was part of the process. Now, when we send out the press release, which, of course, we've already done with the six finalists, we not only recognize the play and the playwright, but also the theater that produced the world premiere. So everybody gets uh, a little bit of uh, attention out of, out of the process. And, that, and that's important. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. You can't buy advertising like that. That's true. Absolutely. Well, good. I, I, that's that's amazing. I was not aware of that intensive a process because, you know, sometimes awards are two or three guys sit around a table somewhere and they who their who their pal or who's recommended and that and the award is given out. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, but this is sounds like quite a process. This has always been a a more serious process than that. And when the financial stakes went up, thanks to the Steinberg Trust uh, 14 years ago, it became substantially more serious even yeah. than it had been. We expanded the reading committee, we expanded our promotion of the award. And so How do you select the committee, the, the, those that are going to do the reading? As chair of the association, I have the authority to appoint the heads of the standing committees for a year's term. And uh, it's not even subject to voting approval of the rest of the executive committee, though I always do it as an open process. You want everyone to be on board. The individual chairs then can pick the members of their committee. And I intervene only if they want a member who I know is already a member of two other committees. You don't want to dilute their, their energy and their time available uh, too much. And there's a waiting list to be on the new, the new play award committee and do the, the heavy job of reading these plays. But it's, it's exciting work for those who participate. Yeah, I could see where it would be exciting. And, and how, how often, as critics, we, we wish we were able to evaluate yeah. things way ahead yeah. of time. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's terrific. Wow. So, well, all the plays are recommended because at least one critic at some city across the country has deemed that play a success, uh, a, a play worthy of consideration for a, a major cash prize. Now, not everybody on the reading committee always agrees, but oh, I that's, admit. that's the nature. That's the nature of the animal. And sometimes, of course, a wonderful production can. Um, can disguise the flaws in a script, and then we've all been yeah, those. Yes, yes, we have. Yes, yes, we have. But this is an award for the play, for the script itself, not for the production. So well, it all comes out in the wash, as they say. Yeah. Well, that that's quite informative. I wasn't aware of that, of that process. So let's talk now about your background. One of the things that I was impressed by was how many different things you have done. And I remember off the air asking you uh, if you were always a freelancer, and uh, you were pretty much, right? Yes, in terms of my career as a journalist. Yeah, let's go over that. Yeah. You've done so many things. My career as a journalist has always been a freelance career. I've never been a full-time salaried theater critic or a full-time salaried reporter for any publication or broadcast outlet. Uh, 
and I've been doing it for for a lot of years, uh, as you know. I've been a regular columnist, a regular reviewer for a lot of publications on the masthead. My name is listed, but I haven't been on salary with benefits. Uh, the only full-time real jobs I had were early in my career. I spent, I supported my theater habit, uh, just like actors do. I supported, and I was still acting then myself, I'm talking about in my 20s, but uh, for about a decade I worked as an advertising copywriter at uh, Leo Burnett and uh, J. Walter Thompson, principally. I left J. Walter Thompson um, as an associate creative director, took a 50% cut in pay to take my first full-time theater-related job as literary manager for the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. Good for you. Talk about putting your passion to work. It, obviously, you cared more than that than, than about the dollar, and I, and I respect that. I, you know, I don't know if we have time for an anecdote or not, but I'm going to sure. tell you. I'm going to tell sure. you. Uh, as a student, I had the great good fortune and privilege of living in London for a full year and studying theater there. And uh, towards the end of the year, I was standing online, as they say in London, rather than in line, as we say here. I was standing online. I was in queue to get tickets for a show, of, uh, uh, a new play at the Royal Court Theatre. And I got into conversation. Here I was. I was you know, 21, 22 years old, 22. And I got in conversation with a man uh, in the line ahead of me who was probably in his 50s at that time. And he turned out to be an editor for the National Geographic magazine. Wow. And I, yeah, exactly. I said, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine a more brilliant job to have. The, yeah. the interesting things that you see and do in the places you have been and so forth and so That's really, really wonderful. And the conversation went on. And he said to me, well, you have until you're 33 to start doing whatever it is you really want to do in life, that you really want to love, or you probably will never do it. Now, I don't know why he said 33. 33, the age at which Jesus was crucified, yeah. the age at which Alexander the Great died, having conquered all of the known Close world. Close to Mozart. Yeah. He was 35. Yeah. 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 33. So, But he chose 33. And the year that I quit my job in advertising to become literary manager of the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, I was 33. So I just... <laughs> were you... I just were you it. were you conscious of that? Uh, I wasn't conscious, but it was something I always, I never forgot, even though it wasn't consciously part of the process. The opportunity happened, and and yeah, yeah. and and no regrets. There were a few years, Tom, in my course of my checkered career as a literary manager and as a freelance writer where my earned income was around $4,000 a year. And been then, there, then, been I, there done that. then I regretted the amount of money yeah. I might have been making in advertising, but in the greater scheme of things, looking back from the my my now gray-haired position of wisdom and experience, yeah, no regrets. You know, what's the song, Regrets? I've had a few, but too few to mention, right? Yeah, that's... I did it my way, for better or for worse. <laughs>
<laughs> well, that makes you a, that makes you a, a a pure artist because that's what that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, it's yeah. an artistic life. Even if you're if I'm a journalist and a theater critic, you know, along the way I did a smattering of playwriting and I wrote some, oh, you did lyric, some playwriting. lyrics and libretti and uh, for a few produced works. Uh, you know, the, I think I made fifty dollars on one of them, and that's the most I ever made. <laughs> but so yeah, it is the life life of a freelance journalist, particularly an arts journalist, is not that much different than a freelance performer, a musician, an actor, things like that. Yeah. And uh, you were saying earlier, too, we were talking about uh, people don't start out to be theater critics. I don't think they do. Um, I cannot think of more than one or two people in my entire career that I've known who, who from the time, say, they were adolescents, knew that they wanted to be a theater critic. Um, most of us become theater critics by hook or crook or happenstance. Within our association, we have uh, two members who famously were sports writers before they became theater critics. Is that right? And they were successful at both. And uh, we had another a member. Not who, Mitch Albion isn't one, is no, it? No, no. We had a member uh, who had been the television reviewer and critic for the daily paper in a medium-sized city. I'm not going to mention, you know, smaller than Chicago, but bigger, bigger than Peoria. Okay. And when he was switched to theater criticism, he considered it a demotion. <laughs> but more than 25 years later, he's still doing theater criticism, and I think he is, and has been a, a, a very productive member of the association, so he made his accommodation. But there are a lot of people like me. I was always interested in writing. I never, ever took a course in journalism, but I started writing... You know, from my high school paper, and I was an editor of my college paper, I learned by doing. And while I was still at university in Boston, I began writing freelance theater reviews for papers outside the university. You know, I didn't get paid, but you got free tickets to all the Broadway shows having their tryouts in Boston. It was a big tryout town at that time. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of people followed that path. They might have trained in journalism. Uh, Richard Christensen. Uh, was trained in journalism, you know, uh, and, and started out as a general all-purpose reporter. That's true, and yeah. His, but his right. personal interest was in the arts, and, and he gravitated to that and became an outstanding critic and, and an outstanding editor also. So Chris Jones was a, uh, was a, was a PhD, was a college professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though so he's, yeah, well... He was always a theater critic when I first met him, and he was still, you know, in his 20s then. He was in, living in the United States, in Cleveland, was his first stop. <coughs> I met Chris Jones in uh, 1992. And in fact, he asked me if, if he was considering moving to Chicago. He said, are there opportunities? Can I write? Can I get work? I said, sure, it's a free-for-all. Anybody can submit. You submit some clips to the daily papers. They like you, they'll throw some freelance your way. That's not making a living, but it's getting your byline out there on a regular basis. And so all the smaller publications live on freelancers, the reader and the whatever the yeah, other independent Yeah, for a lot of those, too. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you've written for just about, I, I was looking at the list, and so many of them I haven't heard of. 
<laughs> most, Tom, Tom, most of them are dead. You know, the, the Chicago Express, the Chicago Daily Planet, Chicago 606, uh, 151 Magazine. Uh, um, there was a paper called Chicago Theater Performing, which people will remember. Yeah, I That's remember been gone performing. for some years now, but that was very, very lively. Uh, I wrote freelance pieces for the Chicago Tribune. The Chicago Daily News was my first daily newspaper. So I wrote for that, and it, it's folded in 1974, I believe, or 76. So. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. Well, you still uh, are writing uh, for the Footlights program. I write yeah. uh, not reviews, but a, a short digest of, of news and analysis uh, for Chicago Footlights. The program book that you will find. Uh, most people don't distinguish between footlights and playbill, but you'll find footlights in more theaters. Yeah, mostly the smaller ones and dance companies. And I write something called footnotes in business, and then I. You have some good sources because you come. I got my ear to the rail, and I, I always grab and I see, and I always find things in there that I didn't know. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And then, as you know, I review weekly for the Windy City Times. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were editor for a while there, weren't I you? Was the, I was the theater editor uh, for, I guess, about eight years, and I gave that up in. 2008, when the University of Illinois at Chicago asked me to come on board as an adjunct uh, instructor, teach theater, and I'm still doing that, and I needed to make the time to teach. So I gave up being editor, the theater editor at the paper at Windy City Times. Now I just do one review a week, and uh, Scott Morgan took over as my, yeah, good, good guy. As my editor, yeah. good guy, and yeah, he does it. And then I, I can contribute an occasional online review to theatermania.com. And, of course, my old Chicago Public Radio partner, Kelly Kleiman, and I still do a weekly podcast, a review, under the Dueling Critics. It's DuelingCritics.net, isn't it? DuelingCritics.net. Yeah. www.DuelingCritics.net. Well, that's good, because I, I've always enjoyed us, yeah. that. I mean, you guys are amazing. We yeah. have a good frickin' frack act. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it's, it plays well, right? Yeah. 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 How's Thank the site you. doing? Uh, I don't know. She, okay. you know, Kelly and I just actually talked yesterday. We were at a show together, the next one we're going to review, and, we, and she said, well, I've come up with a way we're contacting a service that's actually going to count how many listeners and hits we get. I said, okay. Later on, I'll tell you how to... Uh, then, then we'll know that there are four people I'll tell you how, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. It, it can be tracked. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you can, and folks, if you forget that, on my Chicago Critics site, I do have, I do have a, a, the, your logo on there because Great, I believe you. in... Well, you know, we're all in this together. You know, we're all cross promotion is the way to go because it's all about getting people in to see good theater, and, and that's, yeah. that's what we're cross promotion doing. is important. And with the teaching and with a principal responsibility as chair of the association, it's something that for me has fallen by the wayside because I just don't have the time. To go, I'm supposed to be contributing to five different Facebook pages. I have my own that I haven't yeah. looked at in ages and ages, and the association has one. And they the can eat your time up, all the online Footlights stuff has one, and <laughs> I need to hire someone just to post to create my my social media postings. <laughs> well, in the interest of time, there's yep. something I, I, I want to talk about. Uh, you were one of the co-founders of the National New Play Network. Correct. And this is an organization, it's been around since 1998, so it's still relatively new. Um, 
A lot of people never heard of it because it's one of these behind-the-scenes organizations. It was created by the founder of the Eugene O'Neill uh, Theater Center, the famous O'Neill, each summer in the one in New England, New England. The one in New England, created by George White and his one of his principal uh, uh, number two is a man named David Goldman, and they recognized that the work of developing new plays. At one time, major regional theaters did very little of that sort of thing, which is why there was a need for a Eugene O'Neill Theater Center that concentrated and focused on the development. But now, any regional theater worth its salt does some sort of new play development. And do a lot of it here yeah. in Chicago. Yes, sir. yeah. So the field for new play development had diversified and gone nationwide. So George and David decided, let's set up a network of like-minded theaters devoted to the development of new plays and see if we can create some economies of scale, whether they can exchange and network between themselves. And that became the National New Play Network, originally 12 theaters, smaller and medium-sized. They didn't want the Goodman Theater. They didn't want the Actors Theater of Louisville. They wanted small companies. And there were some birthing pains, and uh, you know, it was two steps forward, one step back of the original 12 12 companies, a few dropped out. I was going to say, yeah, that must be a nightmare. Well, they wanted everybody to do their plays, but they didn't yeah. want to do anybody else's plays. But eventually it has come around and it's been successful, and the membership is now up to, uh, I can't give you an accurate number, but let's say at least two dozen or maybe Great. 30 theaters. Uh, we hired our first full-time executive director a few years ago. We have some major grants. and. One of the things the National New Play Network created that has been very, very popular is what we call a rolling world premiere. And we have funding for it also. And that's rolling, rolling world premiere. Three, th three theaters, <laughs> okay. all of whom can say, we are doing the world premiere of Play X or Play Y or Play Z. And they each get a sum of money from the National New Play Network to do it. Doesn't have to be the same production, though if they want to share the production, they can do that too. But they have to do it within 12 months or 15 months. And one of the three theaters has to be a member of the National New Play Network. But all three do not have to be. But they're all going to get $5,000 or $7,500. Now, for the Goodman or Steppenwolf, $5,000 towards a production is almost meaningless. Yeah. But for a theater that has a total budget of $250,000 or $500,000, $5,000 to do one play is a nice piece of change. So they all share the world premiere. And the idea was that too many theaters were willing to do world premieres, but nobody was doing a second production. Oh. You know, think of how many... That's true. Because there are a lot of funders out there who want their name associated with a new play, a world premiere, rather than with the second production. But how does a playwright earn a living? It's not by commission. It's supposed to be by royalties for repeated production of his or her play. So the idea of a world premiere guaranteed that this play would receive at least three productions, and by letting them all be called world premieres and sharing, it kind of 
uh, made it more glamorous. It's a great concept. Feeling. Yeah. In, yeah. in looking about that, uh, I know there's a lot of playwrights who help, but David Mamet's name comes up. Well, I knew David very early on from his days in Chicago when he was still acting. Uh, and he created the St. Nicholas Theatre Company, and I became the company's first literary manager, an unsalaried position, I might say, and oversaw the first two subscription seasons for St. Nicholas, which were by far the most successful. And uh, I don't want to say it's cause and effect, but when I left as literary manager to become literary manager of the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, which paid me a living wage. Who could blame uh, you Saint, for that? Yeah, St. <laughs> Nicholas only survived another four or five years before the theater before the theater folded. It was not cause and effect. There was a lot of other things happening. But so I, I but the strange thing is, uh, at St. Nicholas, I never worked directly with David uh, at all. He and I remained friendly when I was go to New York for a period of time. We would. Uh, and we would get together, we'd have a beer, we'd have, I'd, and we'd chew things over. He came back to Chicago once and did a lecture for me at, um, I'd put together a lecture series for the theater school at DePaul, and he did that. Um, but I haven't, I, you know, I've been out of touch with David for a very long time now. Uh, but, um, the only direct involvement I ever had with one of his plays is when I was literary manager at the Milwaukee Rep, I dug one of David's earliest full-length plays, trunk plays, out of his trunk. We got him to develop it, and we did it uh, up at the Milwaukee Rep on our second stage, and that was Lake Boat. Now, I, ever saw, I saw a production of Lake Boat. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. eventually the Goodman did it, and they didn't do a very good no. job of it. No, they didn't. But we did a very good job up at the okay. Milwaukee Rep. All right, running out of time. Last question. It's sure. not a question. It's a quote I found from you that I'd like you to expound upon a little bit. Scratch a cynic and you'll find a failed romantic. Yeah, I suppose if I hadn't decided that I want to be cremated, if I were going to have a tombstone, that's probably what I would have them okay. put on the tombstone. I, I, I think it's true. Why do people become cynical? People become cynical because something, either they have failed at life or somehow life has failed them. Uh, either way, it suggests that they had hopes and expectations and considerations that were not fulfilled. And uh, I just think that a lot of it has to do with the heart. Romantic, you can take in the sense of love and personal relationship, but you can take it in the larger sense, like the romantic era in literature, a, a, an era of passion and, and, and color. And uh, so that's why I say, if you scratch a cynic, you'll find a failed romantic. Great quote. Last question. Short answer, please. Uh, what advice would you give to young theater critics or those who want to become theater critics? <laughs> I'm not I sure. know that's a loaded I'm not question. sure there is a short Okay, I would say see as much theater as you possibly can. One. Do as much writing as you possibly can. Journalism. And write other things beside theater reviews. Do, you know, Report a fire, write a sports story, whatever you can sell. You know, get get seasoned as a journalist, get seasoned uh, as a theater critic, and for God's sake, keep an open mind. Do not think that there is only one way to do Brecht or one way to do Shakespeare. Uh, 
uh, never lose the sense of adventure. Uh, the great critic John Lauer titled one of his books, collection of his reviews, his title was Astonish Me. That's why a theater critic, that's why audiences go to the theater. We want to be surprised. We want to feel something in our guts. We want to be astonished. Don't lose that sense. Great. Great comment. Folks, thanks for listening and remember, go see a play this week. Bingo.